Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. My name is Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Like one of you, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. You know, I I figured after the game last night and the rain this morning, you guys were going to be a cheery bunch, but... uh, You know, I'm excited to be here, if I'm honest. I'm excited because I love preaching on the last last Sunday in December. I I really do. And and here's why. Because we are on the cusp of a new year, aren't we? Not only that, we're on the cusp of a new decade. I mean, think about this. What were you doing at the end of 2009? It has been 10 years. It has been a, a full decade. There is no other time in the year when we are more open to change than we are right now. No other time in the year where we're more thoughtful about where we're going and about the type of of person that we aspire to be. 2020 lies before us completely unblemished. And we have the opportunity now to dream about what this next year might look like and about what God might do in us and through us over the course of this next year. I love preaching on the last Sunday in December. And so because this Sunday, this last Sunday in December, gives me perhaps, one could argue, my most attentive congregation or audience of the year. When when I have the opportunity to speak, I I always, always try to be really thoughtful, really strategic, really really dialed into the Lord in, in terms of what He wants me to share on this particular Sunday. And this year, on the last Sunday of the year, I've decided to share on the topic of our speech, our speech. And the reason I've decided to share a message on our speech is is twofold. So here's the reasons why. Number one, I want to talk about our speech today, church, because speaking plays, of course, such a significant role in our lives, does it not? The University of Arizona recently conducted a A study that determined that the average person, this is average, speaks 16,000 words a day. That's average. Some of you haven't spoken 16,000 words in the last three years. You you just haven't. You're just not a talker, right? You're a little bit more introverted, a little bit more reserved. It's not a bad thing. Some of you have spoken 16,000 words since you've gotten into this building this morning, right? You're just talkers. Talk, talk, talk. You talk in your sleep. You talk when no one else is around. It's not a bad thing either, but average, average, 16,000 words is what we speak a day. And so in a year's time, the average person's words would fill 116 books at 200 pages a pop. That's enough words to create a fairly large home library in one year, one year, just one year of speaking. Is it any wonder then that God would want to have a word with us about our speech? This practice that we perform 16,000 times a day. Secondly, I want to talk about our speech this morning because of the sheer power and influence our words hold. Proverbs 15 verse 4 says this, The soothing tongue is a tree of life. I love that imagery. That when you bless others, when you encourage others, when you speak well of others, you're, you're like a tree of life to those around you. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, The words of the reckless, they pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
You know, I don't know if there's ever been a more ignorant statement uttered than this old phrase. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The reality is, many of us in this room would say that much of the baggage that we carry around with us in our day-to-day lives is the result of hurtful words that were spoken over us by another. This has certainly proven true in my own life. You know, I've been physically hurt in all different sorts of ways. I've dislocated my knee three times where my kneecap literally went back by my calf and the doc had to, yeah, yeah, that's not particularly fun. I've broken my arm in two places. I've broken my finger. When I was a kid, I accidentally stepped on hot coals. I've, I've hurt myself in a lot of ways is what I'm trying to say. But, but no matter how many times I've hurt myself physically, the words, or rather the wounds that I, I've I've incurred because of the words of others have hurt me in far more meaningful or impactful ways. Friends, our our words matter. They matter. Our, Our words have power. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to be people who bring blessing and not harm with our speech. Today we're going to be looking at a passage from Colossians 3, which shows us how we might better honor God with our tongues. But before we do that, I would love to pray with you guys. And so would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we confess that none of us, none of us have honored you with our our mouths the way that we would like. That all of us daily, Father, are prone to, to lashing out in anger, to making ourselves look better, chasing our pride. We're we're all prone to sharing things that we quickly regret, to hurting those around us with our words. None of us has figured out how to honor you with our tongues. And so we ask for your grace. We ask for your wisdom. We ask that you would change our hearts. We want to be people, Father, who are trees of life to those around us. And we thank you, Jesus, for your blood that was shed on the cross for us that covers over every single sin, including the sins of our speech. Thank you that you do not hold our sins against us, but have paid the price for them on the cross. We love you, Jesus. We invite you into this time. Please put power on my words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. So if you have your Bible with you. You can turn with me to Colossians 3. For the rest of us, you can look at the Sky Bible behind me. Here's what we read. Put to death, therefore, this is Paul speaking to the church. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen. Amen. Well, in today's passage, Paul offers us four ways that we can honor God with our speech. And so let's look at each of these points in turn. Here's our first point. Number one, Paul 
shares that in order to honor God with our speech, we must rid ourselves of anger, rage, and malice. That's the first point. Let's rid ourselves of anger, rage, and malice. Let's look at at verse 8 briefly again. But now you must also rid yourselves, he says, of all such things as these, anger, rage, and malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Well, we certainly can, church, exercise anger or rage without speaking. The primary way that we weaponize our anger or our rage or our malice is with our tongues, is it not? I've done a lot more damage over the years with my mouth than I have with my fists. And while the word anger and rage and malice are often used synonymously in the English language, in the Greek, they actually convey slightly different meanings. And so let's break each of these words down for just a moment. When Paul speaks of anger, he's referring to a word in the Greek which refers to a a simmering, slow-burning indignation. This is the type of irritability we experience when someone offends us and we just sit with it. We just sit with it. It might not even be known to, to the offending party, but we're sure aware of our anger in that moment. It's simmering just below the surface. And when we're experiencing this emotion, our our comments are are more likely to be passive-aggressive or just overly critical. Our our anger hasn't worked up to a full boil as of yet, but we're not particularly fun to be around either. There's a simmering anger that's influencing our thoughts and influencing our words. Now, now the word rage in in the Greek, it, it refers to an outburst of passion and wrath. We experience rage when we're enjoying a nice dinner with our spouse, and then following a particular comment or a particular offense, we absolutely lose it, and we let them know about the 15 things they've done this weekend that absolutely infuriated us. Or we express rage when we're trying to help our sister move. And after the third condescending remark about how we chose to pack one of her boxes, we just go off. We let her know that she was supposed to have all the boxes packed before we got there and that we're missing the Browns game to help her move and we should be receive some slack because we're the only sibling that decided to show up anyway. I, I know that none of you have been in, in scenarios like this ever where, where you've blown up at another person. So uh, you've seen movies, right, where people get angry? So maybe you can just picture, picture this in your head. Ambrose Bierce said this, and I, that's, that's an awesome name. Ambrose Beers said this. Speak when you are angry. He said, speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech that you ever regret. <laughs> speak when you're angry. You'll make the best speech that you ever regret. And isn't this so true? You know, in my, in my anger, I have made absolutely devastating cases as to why I was in the right. There have been times where I felt like I decimated the, the argument of my opponent. And yet, I, I've regretted it every single time. How many of you know that the satisfaction of being right, of winning an argument, of, of getting in that last word, isn't worth it when it creates a barrier between you and someone you care about? Speak when you are angry, and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. And finally, the the word malice here refers to a a vicious disposition towards someone else, which causes you to intentionally speak ill of of someone else purely out of spite. 
We see this, for example, when after a divorce, one of the parties enjoys intentionally speaking poorly of the other in order to ruin their reputation. Their anger has, has gotten into their bloodstream, as it were, to the point that they actually derive pleasure in maligning someone else. And we see this often when, when others are wounded by the church, don't we? You know, I've talked with many people over the years who have taken great pleasure in referencing the weaknesses of their former church or, or referencing the weaknesses of their former pastor who offended them. You know, the Bible calls this malice. It's a vicious disposition towards another individual or group. Now, how, how can we be people who move away from anger, rage, and malice in, in our speech? Well, to be honest, this deserves a whole sermon series in itself. But let me just quickly offer you two, two steps that we can take to move away from anger and rage and malice. Number one, we can move away from anger, rage, and malice in our speech by learning to repent quickly. Learning to repent quickly. You know, whether we realize it or not, we tend to classify our sins into one of two categories. There's JV sins, and then there's varsity sins. You know, practicing infidelity and stealing money from our workplace and causing bodily harm, these are varsity sins in our estimation. But when we're a little short with our son after dinner, or when we're defensive with someone in a tense meeting at work, well, that, that's... That's a JV sin. That's a JV sin. That's junior varsity stuff. We all do it. It just happens, right? But if we want to move away from anger and rage and malice, we can't think in these terms. Following a moment of anger, we need to be able to say, no, 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 this, this is not who I'm called to be. My words were meant to give life. I don't want to be someone who's short with my child or passive aggressive with my roommate or irate with my mother. Friends, we need to come before the Lord and say, I repent of this sin, Jesus. This is not simply a JV sin as if such a thing existed. And this, this angry speech is not just a byproduct of my stress or my lack of sleep. Please, Jesus, help me to find freedom from my anger. Please give me a new heart for others. Please remind me that you came to serve and not be served, and that this world does not revolve around my preferences and needs. Secondly, we, we move away from anger, rage, and malice in our speech by forgiving others. By forgiving others. You know, often when we're throwing down with someone, when we're having a a heated argument, the real dispute has nothing to do with the present moment. You all know this as well. The, the real reason that you're yelling at your sister, that you're yelling at your mom or your spouse is because you're still upset about an event that occurred three weeks ago or perhaps three years ago. And the present circumstances just added a little bit of gasoline to that old fire. Now, now listen, all of us here, Christian or not, have heard of the importance of forgiveness. All of us have heard this. From Disney movies to, to Bible studies as a youth, you, you have heard of the importance of forgiveness. But it's not enough, church, to know that we're supposed to forgive. Knowledge is never enough. If we want to be people who are freed from our anger, we have to intentionally come before our God and forgive others in the Lord's presence. 
And then in a few hours or days or weeks when the anger bubbles back up, as we think about the original offense, we choose once again to forgive. And we continue this routine over and over and over again until we desire a blessing, blessing for the one who has offended us until we have actually forgiven them in our heart. You know, C.S. Lewis is a name that many of you are familiar with. He's a famous Christian author. He wrote Mere Christianity. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Lewis was sent to, to boarding school as a young boy, and the boys from his school were repeatedly beaten at night by a drunken headmaster at the school. And in his 50s, in his 50s, probably 40-odd-some years later, Lewis wrote to a friend and shared that he had finally forgiven the headmaster. Lewis understood that forgiveness, particularly when we've been brutally sinned against, was not a one-time act. He forgave, and he forgave, and then the anger bubbled up again, so he came before the Lord, and he forgave. And then the anger bubbled up again, and he forgave, and the anger bubbled up again, and he continued this pattern over and over again, until finally his heart changed. Friends, we, we owe it. We owe it to the people we care about most, to our family and friends and our coworkers, to not simply attempt to forgive once, but to keep forgiving, to keep forgiving in the presence of God until our heart has changed. Moving on to our second point, Paul tells us that in order to honor God with our speech, we must refuse to slander others. That's our second point. Refuse to slander others. Let's read verse 8 once again. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, and slander. Now the word that we translate slander here simply means to speak evil against someone else. And so you can fit slander in there, you can fit gossip in there. It is to speak evil against someone else, particularly when they're not present. And if you've been around church for very long, you know that slander, that speaking with evil intent against someone else, particularly when they're absent, is often one of the sins that we might consider to be JV, but that ultimately can bring untold damage to a body of believers. And and so with that being said, why is it so easy for us to get trapped by slander. Well, why do so many Christians who love Jesus, who serve faithfully, who give regularly, fall into this trap and, and speak poorly of others? Here, here's two reasons why we fall into the, the trap of slander. No, number one, we slander others because we are so easily deceived. We're so easily deceived. We are absolute masters at justifying our own gossip and slander of others. Do you know that? It's incredibly easy, for example, to hide behind the just keep this between you and me excuse. This is when a man or a woman approaches a friend and gives them a juicy piece of gossip or or speaks poorly of another person's family and then ends the conversation by saying those magic words, "Now, now just keep this between you and me. As if that justifies the remarks, as if that gives you a free pass to, to speak whatever you want about someone else. Listen to me, church. 99% of the time, when you have to include the phrase, now just keep this between you and me, you probably shouldn't be sharing that info in the first place, right? That, that should be a warning to you. This probably shouldn't 
be said. And do me a favor, just just for a second as you listen to me now. Don't think about the other people in your life right now who who are the worst at slandering. Because that's what we do. We just go there in our head of, of the people that you wish were listening to this message, okay? Just for a second, why don't you think about about the ways in your own life that, that you tend to speak poorly of other people and then justify it in your own head. A second way that we're deceived into slandering others is through what I call the snippet excuse. The snippet excuse. And this is when a man or a woman approaches a friend and gives them a little snippet about someone else's life before pulling back and refusing to share any further and so one might say to a, a friend, did you hear about Jim? Did you hear about Jim? Yeah, he lost his job. I, I, think, he's, I think he's drinking again. But you know, I, I don't want to get into it. I, I don't want to share. This isn't really my place to share. So, so you give a little snippet, give him a little tidbit, and then you pull back as if that wasn't just slander. Friends, there is no other sin that produces so much destruction and yet causes such little conviction than the sin of slander. It's no other sin that that is so destructive and yet yet causes so few red flags to go off in our head, causes such little conviction than when we're speaking poorly of others in their absence. We slander because we're deceived. We don't even know that we're doing it. And secondly, we, we slander because we're envious. We slander because we're envious. You know, when envy resides in our heart, we do whatever we can to knock others down a peg or two. So we're, when a coworker is praised at work, we can't help but make a snarky comment about them to a friend. We can't help but, but poke holes in their perfection because the envy within us it just refuses to allow others to be praised in our presence when we are not. And our, our envy causes us to make broad, sweeping statements about, about others that we're just simply not qualified to make. And so when a, a friend approaches us and, and says, did you hear about that church on the other side of town? They are absolutely killing it. They are bursting at the seams. I, I hear they just added their fifth service, and, and young people are just flocking to their church. In a moment like this, we're tempted to say, yeah, I've, I've heard of that church. I've heard of that church, but it just seems like they're about an inch, inch deep and a mile wide. It just seems like their theology is pretty shallow. It just seems like all they care about is putting bodies in the seats. They're just all about production. I, I've never been there. I, I've never met the pastor. I've, I've never heard his heart or her heart. I've never talked to the leadership at the church. But suddenly, without ever attending this church, I feel qualified to make these broad, sweeping judgments about another church. Friends, what we do, friends, what do we do when we're feeling envious? We, we attack others, don't we? And, and when we slander others, we're, we're not just knocking others down, but we're trying to lift ourselves up in the process. And, and so when we slander another leader and, they, and we question their commitment, what we're really saying is, I don't think he's a very dedicated leader unlike me. A person who always shows the utmost dedication to the team. Or when we say to a friend, you know, I I don't think Rachel is very humble. She just always seems so proud of herself, just so satisfied with her accomplishments. What we're saying in that moment is, 
Rachel seems to be very prideful, unlike me. Person who always epitomizes modesty and humility. In fact, the next time that you or I want to slander someone, we should just go ahead and add the words, unlike me, after the sentence. Why beat around the bush? Why not just make it clear? I don't think he's a very hard worker, unlike me. I don't think she's a very attentive mother, unlike me. I don't think his lawn looks very nice, unlike mine. When our envy isn't treated appropriately, church, it spills over into slander so that we can feel better about ourselves. Moving on, Paul tells us that in order to honor God with our speech, we must remove filthy language from our lips. Let's read verse 8 once more. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, and malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It's a pretty strong statement from Paul, isn't it? You must rid, you must rid filthy language from your lips. And so before you label me as this uptight, legalistic Pharisee on this one, don't, don't, don't take it up with me. Take it up with Paul. Or take it up with the Holy Spirit who inspired the verse, right? Now, now here, here's all I want to say about this one. When, when I first became a believer, I remember a pastor sharing something that has always stuck with me. She said this. She said, many Christians, particularly younger ones, enjoy cursing because it helps them feel relevant to a broken world. It normalizes them to their peers so that they're not looked at as overly stuffy or or uptight or rigid. But here's what she said, and it's always stuck with me. She said, when we as as followers of Jesus curse or cuss, that, that we're not being relevant to a watching world. We're just being the same. We're just being the same. We're just copying the rest of the world. And so listen, if you stub your toe in front of me and you throw out a curse word, I'm not going to give you a dirty look. I promise, I'm not. I've got bigger things to worry about. Unless you're my four-year-old child, if you, you stub your toe and curse in front of me, I'm, I'm just, I just don't care. But let's not pretend that cussing as a follower of Jesus makes us more relevant to a hurting world around us. Because if you're trying to reach those around you for Jesus, you're going to find that a listening ear or a heart of compassion goes a lot further with other people than an F-bomb, all right? All right. Can I get one amen on that, guys? I know. I know it's hard. You know, we're in this time between Christmas and New Year's, and some of you are mad about the Buckeyes, and it's rainy, but I promise I'll be done soon, okay? I'll be done. All right, last point. Last point. Paul tells us that in order to honor God with our speech, we must not lie to one another. We must not lie to one another. Let's read verse 9 once again. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now on this last point, let me just say this. When we lie in order to make ourselves look good or to get out of trouble or to preserve our reputation... We show in that moment that our regard for the Lord is incredibly low, don't we? We're we're saying in effect in that moment, I I know, Lord, that you're here. I know that you can see all things and that you can see me right now. And yet, I I just don't care. (laughs) 
My view of you is so low, Father. My, my fear of you is so low that I'm willing to lie in your very presence. What we do when our, our sinful choices have no apparent consequences, this says a lot about our fear of the Lord, doesn't it? When you know that you can get away with something, when you know that you can tell that lie to look good or to get out of trouble, the, the choice that you make in, in the moment, it says a lot about your fear of the Lord. And when we begin to lie, friends, when, when we share even a small, seemingly insignificant lie, we open ourselves up to more and more temptations to lie. Did you know this? Austin O'Malley said this. I love this quote. He said, those that think it permissible to tell white lies soon grow colorblind. Those that think, it's, oh, it's just an innocent white lie, they, they soon begin to, to struggle to, to differentiate between these Seemingly white lies and those of real significance and potential destruction. Friend, do you have any lies in your life that you're perpetuating right now? Is there anything hidden from your spouse or your boss or your parents because you've intentionally distorted the truth in any way? Friend, I, I say this, and, and I, I don't say this as someone who, who wants to, you know, lord this over you or, or try to beat you into to shame or, or submission. Now is the time to come clean. Now is the time to come clean. Now is the time to repent and confess your sin. Do not head into a new decade with lies in your life. I, I beg of you, do not head into this new decade with lies in your life. However innocent or innocuous they might seem, they betray a lack of the fear of the Lord and they grieve the Holy Spirit. Guys, the Lord is so kind and he's so gracious and he is so willing to forgive. But we must bring our lies into the light. We must confess them and we must make things right. If you're withholding something from the light right now, if there are lies in your life, my, my plea to you this morning is to come clean. To confess. To make it right. To find freedom in the forgiveness that Jesus longs to give you. There is power, church, in our tongues. Power to give life, to encourage, to bless, to affirm. And there is power to bring death when we respond in anger or rage or malice, when we slander others, when our speech is filthy, or when we speak lies. And so let us be people who increasingly honor God with our speech by the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us. That is my prayer for us in the next year. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me, that we might honor the Lord with our speech. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand? Here's what I'd like to do. The way that we close our services here at the Vineyard is we create some space on the back end for some of us to respond. We believe that, that there's a chance to to actually respond to the invitation of the Lord, that the Lord has been speaking to some of you. He's been 
tugging on different areas of your life. And so before heading out to lunch, we want to respond. And so if you're on our prayer team now, you can begin to head to either side of the stage. If you've been trained to pray with us, we would love to have you on either side of the stage now. Can you begin to head there now for me? Yeah. We can have folks on both sides of the stage. I'd appreciate it. And there's a couple groups I would love to receive prayer today. And the, the first group are those of you that would say that there is an area in your life an area in your speech that you know the Lord is just putting his finger on this morning. That, that maybe there are some lies in your life that you know that you need to confess. Maybe there are some patterns of slander that you know you've just fallen into in order to get a laugh out of folks at work or because of, of your own struggle with insecurity. Maybe as you look back at over the last year, you see some patterns of anger or rage. And even if you're, you're quick to repent or quick to recognize that it is not of the Lord, that you still see this pattern cropping up of, of anger, of rage, or malice. And if that's you this morning, if, if, you, if you feel like the Lord is putting his finger on an aspect of your speech, well, why not allow us to pray for you today? Why not allow us to, to pray God's forgiveness over you as a brother or sister? And you know, there's always space up front, so if you're someone who just wants to come up and do business with the Lord, you can do that as well. The Lord has put his finger on an area of your speech. We'd love to, to just invite you to come up and take that to the Lord. You're not promising them that you've got everything figured out or that you're going to be perfectly sinless in your speech this next year, but it's a way of saying, Lord, I recognize that this is an issue in my life, and I recognize that I have to take it seriously if I'm going to see real change. And then the second group I would love to invite either to receive prayer, to come forward, or those of you who, who you understand that you have been, you've been truly hurt by the words of another, that, that maybe you grew up with an overbearing parent's a perfectionist mom or dad. Maybe you have a boss who's just been unrelenting in his abuse or her criticism. But you know that you have been profoundly impacted by the words of another or by the words of a group of people even. And if that's you, we, want, we would love to pray that God, that God would bring healing to you that he would free you from the lies that were spoken over you, from the, the criticism that was spoken over you, from the joy that was stolen from you. We believe that the Lord can set you free from that, but it requires a step. It requires coming and bringing it into the light that the Lord might heal. And so if, if either of those groups are are relevant for you, if, if you know God has put his, his finger on an aspect of your speech that needs to change, if you have been hurt by the words of another, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to invite you to come up front. And we are going to need some more folks to pray. So if, if you have prayed for an individual in your life and you feel comfortable praying, you can head to either side. You are commissioned in this moment to pray. Okay? So we don't want anyone who doesn't come forward because there's two people on the side of a stage. So I invite you now to deputize you to pray for others. And for the rest of us, we're going to close by singing this one last song.